Hiya, it's Carol here from Kicking Habits, a weekly show sharing stories, skills and techniques to help you take back control of the habit or addiction in your life. I'm going to be bringing you some fantastic guests to talk about their stories on how they conquered their habits along with some professionals in the field who will bring their knowledge and expertise to the show. Maybe you found yourself here because you're sick and tired of the rinse and repeat cycle of your habit or addiction. Then tune in and take away some nuggets to get you started on your journey to freedom. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Kicking Habits. I am absolutely delighted to have my beautiful friend, because I will call her my beautiful friend, because she's a gorgeous soul. She's a fellow Christian in Christ and a sister in Christ, and I just absolutely love her to pieces. <laughs> in fact, you Thanks, know what, Gulam? <laughs> when, when we met, I think we met at, at one of Nick's events, and you're not very, you're not challenged in the height department are you and I kissed you on your forehead or your head and afterwards I was like mortified I thought oh no that's something I'd do to my children <laughs> well you're so lovely <laughs> it obviously didn't uh, impact me in any way because I don't have any memory of this at all <laughs> so I am fun. so glad to hear that anyway <laughs> yeah um, just for the listeners, this is Gulam Fernandez, and Gulam is a um, grief transformation coach. I met Gulam probably about a year or so ago, I think, in our mastermind that we were in, and we just hit it off, and um, yeah, just sort of warm to each other, really. And I found Gulam's work really fascinating because. When she said she was a grief transformation coach, I just thought that Gulam dealt with people um, that dealt with loved ones that had passed away. And I was pretty amazed, actually, Gulam, at the breadth of grief. I mean, if you could maybe under, just explain a little bit, that would be fantastic. Yes, of course. Uh, that is a Carol, before we carry on, you're mm. looking fuzzy in my on my side. I don't know, is the quality of the recording good enough? It's absolutely fine. Don't worry. What happens is it's uploading okay. while we're talking. And, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, don't worry. Um, you look fine to me, but it all sorts itself out okay. at the end. Yeah, so don't worry. Yeah, so, um, so we might need to again. <laughs> yeah, Sorry no, that's okay. That. That's okay. No problem. Okay. Um, because we, ha I have had some issues with um, Wi-Fi, so I wanted to make sure it's not my Wi-Fi that's causing the problem. No, you look completely clear okay. to me and you're not okay. stopping and starting. So I'll just ask my question again. Yes. And then, yeah, we'll crack on. So, yeah, don't worry about that. Um, yeah, Gulang, when we met, I was amazed, actually, because we got chatting and became friends and... As a grief transformation coach, I just thought that grief was something that you had when you lost a loved one. And I was amazed at how wide and deep grief is in all sorts of areas. Uh, I didn't even think about 
anything else other than losing someone that you loved and cared for. So it would be great if you could maybe expand on that grief side of things and all the different areas where we can actually grieve. Yes, uh, that's a really great place to start, actually, Carol, because there are lots of misconceptions about what grief is, how it impacts us, how we get stuck. There's usually a lack of knowledge, you know, just a blank. Um, And I used to think in the same way that it was just to do with bereavements. But actually, on my training, I learned that there are over 40 life events that can produce feelings of loss and grief. So anytime something comes to an end, you know, something significant comes to an end, and the end could be as a result of a bereavement or moving or a relationship breakup or a change in role, or so it comes to an end, or there's a change in a familiar pattern of behavior. So actually, if you think about all the things in our life that are related to change of various kinds, either because of an end or just because there's there's a significant change, that can be a huge number of things. And we often say there's over 40 life events. Wow. The other thing that's really important to know that not only is grief negative, it's actually cumulative. So that means um, it doesn't just go away with time, especially if there's any kind of unfinished um, conversations or any unfinished issues. It can become complicated grief, unresolved grief. And then that means that you, until you deal with it, it's like a, it's like a crying toddler. <laughs> the more that you ignore them, the more they, the louder they cry. And sadly, Sometimes people will use all sorts of ways of just carrying on, suppressing it, ignoring it, and thinking they should be over it or it shouldn't be such a big deal. Hmm. But then it, you know, piles on top of each other and then it can really lead to it just becoming too much. Hmm. And that's when sometimes people might get into anxiety, depression, have a breakdown, get burnt out. So understanding some of these basics is really important. And I think that's a really key one that if you were to review your life and think about all the different things that have impacted your heart and caused you emotional pain, uh, unless you had some good knowledge, tools and processes to deal with it as you went along, there will be quite a backlog. Mm. And sometimes because we think we're coping it's, we're not aware of actually how it's draining us and how it's it's a bit like trying to live life with a ball and chain. Mm. You can do it, but it's a lot more work, a lot harder. Mm. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking about it because recently um, we had a dog in our lives, a neighbour's dog, for about, I can't remember if it was before COVID or not, it possibly was. So two to three years, we had this beautiful cockapoo called Dizzy. And um, our neighbours uh, used to spend time out away and um, my neighbour would give me a call or send me a text and say, Carol, Dizzy's going to be on her own for two or three hours, would you mind um, letting her out? And we used they gave us a key because we were in and out with Dizzy quite a lot. We used to take her for walks. It was an excuse for me to get out and, and hubby to get out for a walk. And she was completely adorable. And then we started having her when they were on holiday. So over two <laughs> or three years, we really got attached to Dizzy. 
And um, there's been some changing circumstances with my neighbour, big changes, and they were no longer able to keep Dizzy. So Dizzy went to a new home over the summer holidays because um, the new owners had got an elderly dog and they'd got some young children and um, they'd had her for a week and really enjoyed having her. I, I wasn't aware, and why should I be aware? Why should my neighbour tell me? It's not, not none of my business. Um, and I just happened to send my neighbour a text and say, hey, is D because I always used to call her D. is D ready, um, is, is she happy to have a walk because I fancy stretching my legs? And then I got the reply, oh, Carol, I'm so sorry. I've been meaning to tell you my heart was in my mouth. And I thought she'd actually died or something had happened to her. She said, we've actually mm. given her to a friend. And I was like, oh, okay, no problem. And sort of didn't want her to feel bad. And I got off the phone. I was completely and utterly devastated. Um, I I just came down to the bathroom and I just I just burst into tears. I was like mm. absolutely mortified. And then for several weeks after, like Clive said, Clive's very good at putting things in boxes, like we all do um, at times. And he he didn't want to feel that feel. Um, although we got attached to her, he didn't want to get attached but we have and I saw her toys probably about three two or three weeks ago by the front door covered over by something else and it brought it all back again and it Mm. was just thankfully the new owners I was very bold (laughs) and I actually asked for the new owner's number Gulam this is how desperate I was to see her because it was June when it happened and um, about two weeks ago, I texted the new owner. Uh, she agreed for me to give her a text and said, can I come up and see Dizzy and take her for a walk? She said, of course you can. And I went up last week and saw her. She went absolutely mental. I was so overjoyed to see her. It's And this poor lady has adopted this dog and obviously adopted a human as well, which she obviously didn't realise that Dizzy came with an extra. So. So I'll be seeing her hopefully again this week. But yeah, that's a type of grief too, isn't it? Really? And that's a great illustration, actually, because if you don't realize that grief is about change, so you had a familiar pattern of behavior, you do certain things, and you had become attached. So Mm -hmm. depending on the level of attachment and the level of change will affect how much your heart is impacted. Now, if your neighbor had prepared you and you felt like you'd had a chance to say a proper goodbye and prepare yourself and maybe there were some things you wish you'd done, you know, done with Dizzy um, and you had a chance to do them, there was a particular walk you'd always wanted to go and and you felt like it was all settled and didn't just come as a shock out of the blue, you're more likely to handle that better. Mm. Whereas people often don't think, oh, well, it's my dog, you know, and it hasn't died. So what's the big deal? And if you haven't had a an attachment to an animal or something, sometimes people might lose something, which may not mean much to somebody else, but maybe it's very precious to you. Mm. <clears throat> Understanding that not only is grief negative, it's cumulative. Mm. What happens will be stacked on top of other things that have impacted your heart over time. And that 
Uh, so how much load you're carrying, coupled with how resilient you are, that mm. is going to help to determine how well you move forward after your loss. Mm. So if you're feeling very resilient because you've had to carry a lot of things and maybe you've just getting over flu and you know all those different circumstances that come will then impact how you actually respond to what's happened. Mm. And my heart really is to help people have a better understanding of the knowledge, tools and processes that can help you to identify the unresolved grief and then deal with it. Mm. Yeah, and you'd write about accumulative because although it only happened in June, it brought up something that was really buried deep inside me, which I'd completely forgotten about. On my 13th birthday, my parents bought me a little Jack Russell called Midge, and he was a great rabbiter. And unbeknownst to me, when I was at school, my dad loaned him to his friend, and he was great at you know going down rabbit holes. And mum was always moaning about his white hair everywhere. And we probably had him a couple of years at that point. And I came home from school and Mitch had gone. They'd given him away and not even told me. And I think that probably brought all that up as well, which I'd never actually yeah. dealt with, which I'd never even thought about. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, I was 13, you know, it's like yeah. 45 yeah. years ago or whatever. It's like crazy. Yeah. And that's a really good illustration that time is not the healer because mm. people often say, oh, you'll feel better in time, give it time, time's the healer. Mm. Well, those are common sayings that sound like common sense, but actually they're not really helpful because 45 years later, something triggered what didn't get dealt with and then it resurfaced. Mm. And I had that experience. My mum died when I was 13. and Somebody trying to be helpful said to me, oh, you mustn't cry. You've got to be strong for your brothers and sisters. So I thought, I thought that's what I had to do is every time I wanted to cry, which is a natural, normal mm. reaction to loss, especially, you know, such a significant loss, I would tell myself, oh, I mustn't cry. I've got to be strong for my brothers and sisters. Mm. And so about, <clears throat> that was when I was 13, when I got to about 30, my older brother died very suddenly from a massive heart attack and it was completely unexpected. In those days, we didn't understand about recognizing symptoms. He just thought he had a chest infection. Mm. We didn't understand about the impact of lifestyle. He used to um, love takeaways. Rarely, well, I don't think, I don't remember him ever exercising, never mind, mm. rarely. He had a very stressful lifestyle with his own business and uh, and he used to smoke like a chimney. So that combination on top of whatever was underlying health issue, um, you know, it, it came as a shock to us. Mm. When they did an autopsy, they realized that his arteries were furred up like that of an old man's. Oh, wow. But for us, it must have been going on, you know, building up, but we just you know, we just hadn't realized. So not only did I have to then deal with the grief of losing my brother so suddenly and all that that brought up, all the unresolved grief that I hadn't dealt with regarding my mum then resurfaced. So I had like mm. a double whammy. So sometimes people say, oh, I wish I'd known you 10 years ago or in your case, 45 years ago or whatever. Mm. But actually, it doesn't really matter when 
the loss impacted your heart, mm. if you haven't had a good way to deal with it, it will still be sitting there waiting for you to get around to dealing with it. And and that's that's a really interesting example that, you know, you're it brought up for you something that happened forty five years ago. You know, that's, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. And of course, I mean people use alcohol, don't they, to numb out or maybe turn to other things to push down all those feelings and those emotions that come up. Um you know, like you said, we can carry them around for such a long time and think we've dealt with yeah. them. And then like you with your brother, bringing all that yeah. up about your mum. And I think we yeah. can yeah. alcohol. And I know you've got personal experience from that. If you want, would you mind sharing, Gulam? Yeah, no. Yeah. So there are two aspects of it. One is understanding that we have like default coping mechanisms. Um, so I call them self-soothing sabotage behaviors because they do soothe you in the short term, but then they raise their own problems in the longer term. And sadly, when my older brother died, my younger brother was with him. And he had, you know, between them, they had some unresolved issues and, and some conflict something had happened that my younger brother wasn't happy with and so when my older brother suddenly collapsed he he didn't he didn't have a chance to say those things or sort those things or he was left with this undelivered communication mm. and if we have something significant that we didn't get a chance to say or share that can be one of the factors that gets you stuck in your grief. Because every time you think about the person, you struggle to think about the whole relationship. You get preoccupied with, why didn't I say this? Why did I take him for granted? Why, you know, whatever your whys are. Mm -hmm. So in my case, something similar happened with my mum, that just as she was about to go on holiday, we were quite happy they were going because we thought, oh, great, we'll be able to have lots of fun and, and stuff. But just as she was about to leave, I had this sudden urge to tell her that I loved her and give her a hug. But this logical part of me looked around all the people milling around and said, oh, don't make a fuss. She'll be back in six weeks. So I listened to that part, ignored my, you know, urge that I had. And so when she didn't, when she wasn't back in six weeks um, and she died while she was on holiday, so not only was it it became complicated because we didn't get a chance to see the body or be at the funeral. So for a long time, I used to have these dreams where I dreamt that she'd come back and said, oh, no, I didn't really die. I just, you know, we had a bit of a, an argument, your dad and I. I thought I wanted to be there longer, but I'm back now. Mm. So this would happen so regularly that I, in my dream, I'm thinking, no, this is a dream. And in my dream, I'm pinching myself. And going, oh, no, this can't be a dream because I just pinched myself. Oh, <laughs> and obviously I'd wake up and it was, you know, so, it, it, so those kinds of things can make things more complicated. Mm. And sadly, with my brother, uh, the younger brother, <clears throat> he used to drink, but really just at the weekends as a as a way of relaxing. But after that happened, he started to drink more and more as a way of numbing the pain mm -hmm. 
And his grief reaction, you know, not helped by turning to alcohol, he he physically then became dependent on alcohol. And then obviously that that would make him feel okay for a short term, soothe the pain and mm. self-medicate. But sadly then it had a knock-on effect in terms of his marriage breaking up and and then as a result of leaving the marital home, he ended up in a situation with somebody who was alcohol dependent. So it was just very, very tragic, really. And we were so busy struggling with our own grief and not understanding about self-soothing behaviors and what was going on. I mean, we would just get cross and say, look, stop drinking. You know, we're ruining your life, all that sort of nonsense. But over time, especially after I did my training, I thought, ah, that's what's really going on. He's still carrying the pain of the unresolved grief. Mm. It was not helped by the fact that a year later after my brother's death, um, my younger sister had a delayed grief reaction and she had a a mental breakdown and sadly she took her own life. Mm. And he was the last person to see her. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, she. I was away traveling, trying to come to terms with my own grief and make sense of life after all that had happened. And then I got a message saying that you know she's had a relapse. It'd be good for you to come back. And I felt much stronger. I thought I'd be able to help her and so on. And I thought at least she's safe because she. Uh, they put her into a, a facility for people having mental health issues. Mm-hmm. But sadly, she walked out. Um, while I was traveling, I left, she was fine. Well, not fine, but she was safe. And then then I landed and she'd walked out and had another go and sadly succeeded. Mm -hmm. And because he was with her, again, he had all this unresolved grief around my brother's death and their relationship and what happened. And then on top of that, now he had to deal with my sister's um, loss and because he was the last person to see her and she was saying to him, I don't want to be here. Please take me out from here. And he'd been told, look, this is the safest place for her. So whatever she says, just ignore it. Mm-hmm. So he left there really feeling torn. And then when she walked out and, and died, he left. he was left with huge feelings of regret and guilt. Like, if only I'd taken her with me, it might not have happened. Why didn't I listen to her? But as we said to her, the thing about feelings of guilt and regrets are sometimes it's deceptive because the reality is he could have taken her with him, she could have done what she did, and then he would have been left feeling guilty of if only I'd left her there. And I said, mm-hmm. look, what is the truth of the matter? You know, let's dig into this. The truth of the matter is you did what you thought was the best thing for her. You didn't make that decision because it was inconvenient, you couldn't be bothered, you know, whatever, whatever. You did that because you thought that was the safest place for her to be. Mm. So let's have a look at this guilt and see if that's something that's a real, you know, Mm. if you deserve that sort of feeling of judgment, punishment, whatever you're going through. Mm. And sadly, if you don't understand that, you've had a lot of grief events 
all sorts. You know, maybe you maybe you were made redundant. Maybe you were overlooked for a promotion you really wanted. Maybe you were in a romantic relationship that didn't go the way you were hoping it would. Um, maybe your house was robbed. Maybe, you know, the, maybe your car was stolen. There's so many life events that can happen that actually have a grief element. So if you don't understand that you might be carrying a whole stack of things and the, and your coping mechanism is about self-soothing. Self-soothing isn't always just about alcohol. It can be about immersing yourself in fantasy and watching hours and hours of mindless TV. It can even be good things, but done to excess. So helping other people can be a really good thing. But sometimes people will focus so much on that as a way of avoiding dealing with their own feelings. Whenever you're doing something to an extreme as a way of not feeling your feelings and dealing with them, then, you know, that can be a problem. And obviously, we're talking specifically today about alcohol. Um, trying to give up the alcohol without dealing with the root cause of the pain that makes you want to drink, it's just, it's just, um, it's just not as effective. You might get all sorts of habits, strategies, tactics, all sorts of things. But if the underlying unresolved grief is there causing you the pain and you're using it to cover up that pain, then unless you deal with the pain, there's always going to be the, you know, unless you find better ways of dealing with the pain, um, uh, it's going to be a, Mm, it's going to be hard. That, saw that firsthand yeah. as well because I think I recommended um, someone to you, didn't I, and who'd had um, two bereavements in her family and. Um, um, and we've seen that how it works is just um, because you're always going to find a supplementary thing to fill that hole with, aren't you? It's, it's yes, always going to yes. be something if if you don't deal with it, and that's why I think yes. it's important to the work that you do is resolving the reason as to why they're feeling so low, depressed or self-soothing with whatever it is, alcohol or anything. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I recognise that in my early years of marriage when Lucy was very small, I um, got into um, a multi-level marketing um, thing that a friend was doing and I was out practically every day after work. I was working full time and I was out in the evenings seeing people doing things because I was, I think I I got looking back postnatal depression to be fair. Um, and I just didn't mm. want to be at home. <clears throat> I just wasn't coping. <clears throat> so like you say, you, you just immerse yourself in other things to just push it to the back of your mind, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, let me show a funny story of... Um... Before I understood this, um, well, one part's funny and one not funny. Um, so after my mum's death, I didn't understand that you can turn to self-soothing behaviours. Mm. And I remember that I started comfort eating. And then for years, I was struggling with my weight and struggling with trying to uh, manage what I was eating. But, you know, without success because now I realised it was like it was serving a purpose in covering up that pain. Mm. Um, so I always thought it was something to do with, you know, my hormones because as a teenager, I'd started my periods and so on. And then I realized actually, no, 
the underlying cause is all the grief that I've dealt with because I, I after my so I lost my mum and then I then it was my brother, then it was my sister, a year later it was my dad, then I had three miscarriages, and that was just the bereavement side of things. But all the other things, you know, romantic breakups and changing, uh, moving and uh, all those other stresses and strains of life that have a grief element, um, mm. pile that in there, I was coping a lot. So I just str- struggled for years. Like, why can't I, you know, eat healthier? Why can't I this? But since I started doing um, understanding and I did my training, And I started to realize, actually, I'm using this as a way of comforting myself. And what I need to do is to work on the underlying pain. Mm -hmm. So they've been so pleased that, you know, I finally actually lost some weight. I think my heaviest, I weighed about 84 kilos. And there are people who weigh more, but as you say, I'm not very tall. (laughs) So 84 kilos. Vertically challenged. That was the word I was looking for, vertically challenged, yeah. But they say good things come in small packages, though, Gulam, so that's the positive. <laughs> I I have a friend, well, so-called friend, when we were at college, one day he said, we were a group of us hanging around, he said, Gulam, I think you're the only person I know who's taller lying down than standing up. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> Even I had to laugh because nobody ever put it quite that way. Um, no, no, no. The the the, the thing is uh, that was the comfort eating. Mm-hmm. But then I realised I, you know, was going through some challenges with my husband's health, and um, he had some heart issues. It was a very worrying time, and I noticed that somehow I started watching, uh, binge watching Korean dramas. And that sounds really an odd thing to do, but Netflix uh, usually will suggest something. If you watch Mm. something, it will then suggest more of the same. And before I knew it, I was kind of down this rabbit hole of these mindless Korean dramas. And because it's um, subtitled, it means you have to focus. It takes your mind off all the other things Mm. you're worried about. So my children said to me, "Um, what's going on? <laughs> What's this about hours and hours of watching Korean dramas? Like they, the, the, the bit they couldn't understand was Korean dramas. Like you know, okay, if you're watching a decent movie or something. Yeah. But then later on, when I did my training, I realized ah, oh, I was kind of trying to immerse myself in fantasy to escape having to face the pain of what's actually going on. Mm. And the the thing is that in the short term makes you feel better, but it doesn't sort out the issue in the long term. Mm. yeah exactly and that's the same with yeah using alcohol whether it's for grief whether it's you believe it's to help relax you de-stress you it's getting to the bottom of why you feel that need to take on board you know that that liquid or whether shopping I know I remember when I was first into um when I first had Lucy and I was on maternity leave, do you remember QVC? I was oh like, my <laughs> I would just buy the most ridiculous things you would honestly, when I think about it. And it was just because I was just hormonal, very low. And 
you know, yeah. I just, just had yeah. to buy. So buying for me, so I got that instant sort of dopamine hit from buying it. And then then I would worry about the finances and then it would come through the door and I'd think, what on earth have I bought? You know, yeah. my husband would go mad. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, yeah we do. We tend to. Yeah. So how do you work with your clients then, Gulan? What happens when someone contacts you? What's the sort of process that they go through? Well, the process is because they often don't have very much understanding, I do um, give them a link to a free guide I've put called Produce called The Five Key Steps in Handling Your Grief. Mm -hmm. And then I offer them a discovery call, which is free of charge because... Mm -hmm. We need to check whether they need help because not everybody's going to need help. Sometimes, you know, people are grieving in a fair, they're fairly resilient. There's no complicated issues and they're feeling sad, but they're getting on with it. Um, and maybe they just need a few tips mm-hmm. so they can get that from the free guides and resources on my website. I also have a free Facebook community. People can join again. They can ask questions access free resources and so on. Um, And in order to check whether they need professional help, I offer them a discovery call. Mm. The purpose of that really is to find out as much as I can about what exactly has happened to them that's prompted them to reach out, find out how it's impacting their relationships and their work, how urgent it is for them to deal with it. And then also to check whether we would be a good values match, uh, because you might need my services, but maybe um, you would be better off working with a different uh, person. Mm -hmm. So the purpose of that really is to find out if we're a good match. And if we feel we are, then we'll get you booked on and and onboarded and started. Mm -hmm. If we find we're not, then I'll actually refer them to either somebody else or I'll just point them, uh, send them some more valuable resources. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of the actual program, there are three key aspects. One is we teach you the right knowledge because there's a lot of misinformation. It's like a whole minefield of misinformation that if you don't realize it's misinformation can, like it did with me, get you stuck for years. And then mm-hmm. we teach you some tools that help you to review all the losses big and small, so you can see how much you're carrying in your backpack. And then we help you to prioritize that. What's one relationship uh, which is really life-limiting because you're very preoccupied with the pain of that? We teach you how to identify, review that relationship, find out where the pain points are, and then we give you some frameworks and processes for actually dealing with it. Once you've learned how to deal with one, then we encourage you to work your way through the rest of your backpack. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's very different than grief counselling, uh, and it's particularly suitable for people who find it hard to talk about their feelings and express mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people love to talk, and that's what helps them. Maybe they'd be better suited to something like grief counselling or a talking therapy. But this is a step-by-step process. And the thing I love about it the most, actually, is once you've learned the process, you're equipped for life to Mm. deal with your past, present, and future 
future grief. So mm. Mm. that sounds amazing. Is uh, so I suppose everybody's different, and and people work with you for different lengths of time. Are there things that can be dealt with pretty quick? So you give them the process, and then they go away, and they're able to quickly get on top of things and then you've got others that stay with you for a while um what i've found is that for me the optimum time for the program is around 12 weeks Mm. the basic course where you learn the knowledge tools and processes is eight weeks and when i used to deliver it as an eight-week support program people would get relief for whatever they came with, but they were not necessarily equipped to then be confident in using the processes for the future, you know. So I actually lengthened it to 12 weeks Mm. um, so that that extra four weeks is there as accountability, encouragement and backup if you forget something or you need a refresher or you need to talk something through. And I've, I've... my grief, my own grief journey, I mean, everybody's grief journey is unique. There's no one size fits all. But in terms of learning the knowledge, tools and processes, we find that is a really a good, good amount of time. So um, if somebody just wants to have a one off because they just want to, you know, find out what's going on, that's fine. But to effectively learn the knowledge, tools and processes so mm. you can use them for life. Mm. We encourage you to invest the time, energy and finances in the full program. Mm. Yeah, beneficial. And then if people need if people need more support than after that, because some people maybe are dealing with other complex issues, mm. then we can re- review things. But most people find that actually gives them what they need that they can then go away and use and practice and feel confident that it's going to make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And I've had all sorts of clients. I mean, obviously there was uh, somebody that you referred who had two very mm-hmm. um, complicated issues, mm-hmm. you know, with the bereavements. But I've I've had um, people who've lost their partners after many, many years of being happily married and now they're looking forward to retiring and they've got dreams of what they're going to do and suddenly all that's ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had people who've lost it. I mean, I had one lady who lost her son to suicide. Mm-hmm. That can be really, really difficult because you're left thinking about, well, is there something I could have done differently or something I could have said? Actually, to summarize, there are three main causes of unresolved grief. So the first one, like with my mum, is if you've got undelivered communication of an emotional nature that's significant, and so you, you're just carrying that burden of, you know, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye, I didn't get a chance to tell, in my case, I tell her that I loved her. Mm-hmm. The second cause can be where something has happened and you wish that you had done things better or you'd done things differently or you'd done more of something. So you're left with feelings of regret. You're left with feelings of um, guilt, um, sometimes anger, all those sorts of things. And the third one is really more around disappointments mm. where you had uh, you had hopes, dreams, and expectations. But because of the end or the change in the pattern of what's happening, that's no longer going to happen. So I remember there was a lady um, I spoke to a long time back who the only thing she wanted out of life was to be married and to be a good wife and mother. 
So when her marriage broke up, it's like she suddenly lost her sense of purpose and what her life was all about, because that's what she, you know, always imagined. And there was a lady who um, she and her husband had all sorts of plans of how they were going to set up some charitable works when they retired and, and they planned for it and everything. And now he suddenly wasn't there. So all that came to an end. So mm. they can they they can be when we learn to grieve well, um <clears throat> it makes a big difference. So when my father was going on holiday, having had all these losses where I was left with feelings of regret and why didn't I say this and do this I thought, I'm going to assume that something might happen and this might be our last conversation. So I'm going to make sure everything is said, everything is explained. I've hugged him. I've blessed him. And then if something happens, I've got no regrets. And sadly, when he was away on holiday, he did actually get sick and died. But it felt really different. Yeah. Yeah, but it felt really different. Because I wasn't left with the other feelings around my sister. What if this? What if I'd done that? What if I said this? Might have made a difference. Mm-hmm. I wasn't left with that overwhelming burden of why didn't I tell her I loved her when I had that urge. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so, I, oh, and then with the miscarriages, that was a lot around loss of hopes, dreams, and expectations. Yeah. Because in my head, I've got two, I mean, I love them to bits, uh, don't get me wrong, but I've got a husband and two sons, so, so often I feel a bit ganged up on, like three <laughs> against one. So when I thought I was going to have a girl, I was like, oh, Ray, you know, I'll be able to do girly things and I won't feel so outnumbered and we'll be able, you know, all sorts of fantasies in my head. Obviously, yeah. so when the miscarriage happened, then the disappointment, all that, those dreams are never going to come about now. Um, mm. So sometimes it's figuring out if somebody's feeling stuck in complicated grief with unresolved issues, it's, you know, the original initial assessment is about finding out what is it that they might need to, you know, be, mm. they might be being affected by. Yeah, it's um, interesting. Um, we also... Go on, sorry, Gulam. No, no. As I said, we also talk a lot about the importance of self-care and developing helpful coping strategies. Mm. I also teach people about the moving forward mindset basics. Um, so the acronym BASICS actually stands for developing, recognizing if you're in a blame frame or an outcome frame. Right. And that's actually quite an important one for all sorts of reasons. That mm-hmm. if we're asking ourselves questions which are about fixing the blame, so imagine if you're struggling with alcohol and you say, you know, why am I so stupid? Why do I drink? Uh, whose mm-hmm. fault is it? You know, and, and you're kind of looking to fix the blame. That's very that leads to a very different path than if you're focusing on asking good quality questions which help you not to focus on the past or the future, but in the present. Mm. What can I do now that's going to support me to get through this? Mm. What's one small change that I can make now that will help me to develop a better habit or is a better way of coping? So teaching people how to ask themselves outcome-based good quality questions can make a huge difference. Because depending on the conversations we have, we can talk ourselves. <clears throat> words have great power, whether the words that we use yeah. on ourselves or with mm. other people. 
And so helping people to realize that, because sometimes people don't realize the conversations they're having, they talk themselves into a very high state of anxiety or feeling very depressed because where we put our focus is what kind of grows and then gives us the emotions we have. So we do teach people to start taking responsibility for how they're responding to what's happened. They can't change what's happened. Mm. Like my brother can't change what's happened. But by learning to uh, be open to the idea that it can be different, that is something I've noticed, that if you have been depending on alcohol as a, as a way of coping, you start you start almost thinking that's the only way to cope. You can't imagine how you could cope without it. Mm. And so you know, until you actually deal with some of those self-beliefs that are kind of holding you back, until you recognize, actually, I have a problem, I need help, mm. and until you're willing to do what it takes to get those results, then you're kind of going to keep going round in your little roundabout. And yeah. I've seen clients who, you know, been doing that for years and now suddenly they go actually I can come off this roundabout and I have choices I can go that way or I can go that yeah. way if I carry on going this way that's not going to be a good place so starting to recognize we can make daily small choices which can lead to huge results mm. and, that, and that's so true <clears throat> it is so true I was thinking when you were chatting about the second type of grief when you said lots of regrets a lot mm. of clients and a lot of people have so many regrets if they've been a heavy drinker for a long time and it's had an impact on relationships and family especially their kids or their grandkids there's yeah there's a lot to unpack sometimes with clients but like you said it's there's nothing you can do about that I was chatting with a lady only a couple of days ago. She was <clears throat> really regretful around her grandkids and was saying that she she was only, I think she's only about a week into taking a break from drinking. And um, it was just, I said to her, it's just a matter of focusing ahead. What's ahead? You know, don't worry about that for now. Let's just get the alcohol bit sorted out. And then it's like for people like yourself that can help people with who are really stuck in that grief cycle or regret cycle um and that's great because it's fantastic that we can sort of collaborate really on that side of things because once yeah. you've yeah, got the absolutely. alcohol and the mindset around alcohol and there's still that regret and that grief around then <clears throat> you know you working with clients like the lady that we spoke about earlier. But, yeah, the mindset is really important. And the thing is, as well, we blame ourselves, which you were mentioning earlier. We sort of really berate ourselves for not being able to be in charge of this addictive substance. And the one thing I get across to my clients is four words. It's not your fault. It is not your fault because it is such an addictive thing. And if you drink regularly enough for long enough, your brain is going to think it needs it for survival and your brain is doing 
what it is supposed to do. That's what it was designed to do, to keep you safe. And it thinks that alcohol is what you need for survival. So getting that across to people and saying, look, it's not your fault that you can't say no to that glass of wine or that G&T or that pint of beer or whatever it is. It's not your fault. It's just a habit that your brain's picked up because you've been doing it for a long time. And yeah, we do, don't we? We beat ourselves up. And I'm sure, like you were saying about not getting a chance to say goodbye. Um, I know my my husband, um, sadly, his wife passed away at the age of 57 of throat cancer. And she'd had an operation Mm. and she didn't have a voice box. So she had to write everything down. And I remember him telling me that just before she actually passed away, she was trying to write something on a piece of paper for him. And that communication bit, that makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. And he's never dealt with his grief, um, Gulam. He's never dealt with that. And that is something really that we like we can put in a box and shut, but it's not good for us, is it? It's not good. It, it, it That's comes a really good reminder of things, doesn't it? Manifesting. Yes. My husband's yeah. got no patience, and I think that, I think personally, my opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, but his, his anger and frustration in himself is, is mm-hmm. unresolved stuff from years ago, you know? I do. I truly believe that. And the the thing is that if somebody in that situation is willing to acknowledge that this is not how I want to live my life, let Mm -hmm. me see what other options there are, then that's a good starting point. And in fact, Mm -hmm. I've been working on a a process called going from grief to recover, growing from grief to gratitude, Mm. uh, healing your life so you can live again. And that process is recognizing that where you are has become a wasteland and then recognizing that you want to change and then deciding that you're willing to do what it takes to get the results. Mm-hmm. Because until you want to and you're willing to, everybody else is trying to do it for you. <laughs> no, that's exactly no, the same with drinking. <laughs> no point doing it for your kids what? or your husband or your partner. You've got to want to do it for you. Absolutely. Yeah, because I think, I think resentment I think kicks assistant. in. I think resentment kicks in. Yeah. If you're trying to do it for somebody else yeah. and you can't do it, yeah. then you're going to get angry at them because it's like, I'm doing it for you. Yeah. And especially if there's no yeah, support yeah. there. And it's just... um yeah. A vicious cycle, then, isn't it? So, the starting point for if somebody's struggling, um, you know, with these emotional issues is to sit down and count the cost of, mm. you know, how is it impacting your life and what is the cost of carrying on? Because sometimes we focus on the short term benefits, but we ignore the costs the cost to our health, the cost to our relationships the impact at work and the you know promotions we don't get and the you know jobs that we lose and so on and by start it's it's a bit like if your garden has become overgrown and it used to be really nice but something has happened and now it's become a wasteland then first thing is to assess how bad things are and what is it you you know and and then to create a picture well 
how do you want it to be? If it was like a wonderland rather than a wasteland, what would that look like? Because it, without a vision, it just feels like hard work trying to give up something. You need to have something to aim for. So in my process, we look at what's your wasteland? How motivated are you to get the change? How willing are you to explore your beliefs and the information that you've had and change what needs to be changed? Or are you like, but I've always done it that way and I'm always going to do it that way. (laughs) So how willing are you? And then like with any garden, you need to do the weeding. You need to take out the rubbish. You need to know what weeds are. And if they're left unattended, how, you know, I mean, if you don't recognize not Japanese knotweed. Oh, crumbs. <laughs> do you know about Japanese knotweed? Yeah, it rips up tarmac and houses and everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. If, you, if, when it first, if it, when it first starts, you don't know that's what it is and the no. causes that, you know, it can cost, you don't make the effort to deal with it. So we teach you how to actually recognize the weeds and weed your garden. And then the next stage is about wishing, taking time to imagine what you want instead. Because a weeded garden is nice and clean, but it's very boring. Mm. So unless you plant things in your life that you really want that give you joy and pleasure and good yeah. things to eat, <laughs> you're going to yeah. be living with a weeded garden. So wishing is the next thing. But if you just wish and you don't actually do the work to make it a reality, yeah. It'll be a nice thing in your head, but you're still left with an empty garden. So the process takes you from being in the wasteland to wanting change, being willing to change, knowing how to do the weeding, then using your imagination to create your wonderland, and then step by step making that dream come true. And so mm-hmm. you go from grief to gratitude. That's what yeah. I'm working on at the moment. Oh, that's amazing, Gula. I'm really such special work that you do because we all have grief, don't we? All of us have grief. We do. We all have. We all have. Mm. Some of us are better at um, putting it in a box, putting it to one side. Some of us are better at putting on a strong face, Mm. you know, being strong, keeping ourselves busy, distracting ourselves or you know, losing ourselves in fantasy or hobbies or drinking or shopping or whatever. Mm. And that's not to say that no one ever has a resilience or the, you know, it depends on people's understanding, depends on what else they've been, what kind of journey they've been on in terms of self-development and so on. So many people will, you know, there are no complicated issues that get you stuck, no misinformation you've been using to try and help yourself. People will find their way through. But for those who get stuck, unless you get the help you need, it just persists for years. It doesn't just go away by itself. Mm. So if anybody is not sure if this might be what's at the root of their pain, they're very welcome to download the guide, which gives you better information. They're very welcome to book in a free um, discussion call where we can discover Mm -hmm. what exactly is going on for them. And what, if any, help they need and if we are a good fit or not. Mm. And on my website, um, there are lots of very useful resources, actually. Um, Yeah, just share your your website and where people can get hold of you, Gulam. That would be a great uh, finish. I mean, it's called www.handling-grief.com. 
mm-hmm. that's the place where you can go to to download all the resources but I'm very happy to send you links you can put in the show notes mm. or the comments or fantastic. how to do it where no, people can directly download things no that's great and I know you're on LinkedIn because I follow you on LinkedIn you have some fantastic ah. posts really so oh, you're you. under your name you. Gulam Fernandez aren't you on um, yes. LinkedIn yeah so people yes. out there yes fantastic and just to finish how is your brother I mean it would be you know how's he doing did you get a chance to give him some um counseling around his drinking and things I mean how are things well I think I think the challenge is that if somebody thinks they're doing okay it's obvious Mm. to you they're not Mm. that if they're not open-minded to receiving the you know support or whatever or any support you offer, they think, oh, you're being controlling or you're being this or that. Mm. So we've been kind of waiting for him to get to a point where he's really open. And I mm. feel like it's coming. It's a, it's a, I mean, it's been a long, hard journey. We've been through some really tough times when he was very, very, you know, in a du- very dark place. And we had him come and live with us. But mm. we didn't understand that what he needed help was dealing with the cause of the pain we would just you know try and get him to stop the drinking so now that I've got better knowledge tools and processes I'm able to but sometimes you can't work with your own family so when he's Mm. ready I will refer him to somebody else Mm. that is neutral and can teach him the process yeah but I see a day I I, I see a day coming where he will have better knowledge tools and process and I feel he's more willing to he said to me the other day in fact when I spoke to him he said I feel like I've just woken up out of a dream I don't know how I've wasted the last 20 years of my life Mm. I Mm. said look you can spend your time self-time beating yourself over the 20 years you've wasted or Mm. you can start thinking about how you're going to make most make most of the 20 years to come yeah it just takes steps focus on that yeah Mm, yeah fantastic oh well I wish him well and uh hopefully you you. they'll be I wish you I wish you well Carol you're doing a a really important work in helping people to understand that dealing with the symptoms by distracting yourself with drink and not having good strategies for how to manage that Mm. if left on it's like the Japanese not read if left unattended yeah. the impact it can have on your health and your finances and your relationships mm. is massive it you know, is. it's massive absolutely yeah we make a good team Gulam. <laughs> thank you so much for taking time to come and speak to us really appreciate it and yeah i'll put everything in the show That's notes really- and uh, your links and um, take care god bless and catch you again soon thank you Hey, bye. Absolutely, yes. Bye, bye. Thank you so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you've been left with a question from today's episode, then please drop me a line. I love to answer listeners' questions as it adds to the flavour of the show. And of course, it's completely anonymous. All links are in the show notes. And I'm looking forward to sharing again next week and helping you to find your path to freedom. It really does take courage to take that first step. But remember, 
Nothing changes if nothing changes.